Well, good morning, church, or good afternoon, good evening, uh, good middle of the night to you, I guess. Uh, and welcome to the first of probably many online worship services here at OCEC. If you've been around the church for a little while and you've watched one of our live streams, then this isn't going to be that new and different to you. But uh, due to the quarantine, this is how we are going to be gathering together for worship each week. Um, And so uh, I am glad that we're able to do this. We're grateful that we have the ability to still uh, have church, even if it's uh, in our own homes, separately rather than together. We've sort of talked about as a staff, and and we've had to just accept the fact that this is going to be a season where we, uh, we all are not going to be as connected. Uh, I know that sounds kind of obvious, right? But I think it's our tendency to sometimes when we lose something to say, well, I have to, I have to do everything I possibly can to get that thing back. And yet there's something freeing in being able to just say, you know what, until this quarantine is over, until we're able to gather together in groups again, uh, maybe we need to just accept the fact that uh, community isn't going to be the way that it was before. And, uh, and so we say, uh, how can we still do things like worship, do things like spend time in God's word, even if it's not going to be with one another. And then we look forward to the opportunity we have in the future to gather back together because we know that day is going to come again and, and that we'll be able to gather here as well. So I'm excited that this week we get to actually finish our series on James because uh, we've been going through this study in James for uh, several months now, and we had no idea when we started a series, a series that, that focuses on trials and suffering, a series that is so, so practical that these would be the circumstances that we'd be in when we wrap that series up. We've been talking the last couple of weeks about how incredibly relevant the things James talks about are to us in our lives right now. So we're going to read the end of James chapter 5 as we, um, as we wrap up our series by walking through that passage right now. Uh, if you uh, have a Bible, you can turn to that, um, or uh, you can just look. We'll put the verses up on the screen uh, right here as I read through them. This morning, we're talking about praying and prayer and the role wisdom has in that and the role that has in our faith. So let's read Uh, James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. James says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again. And heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful for 
the ability that we have to gather together using technology. And Father, as James begins this passage with one simple question, uh, is anyone among you suffering? We know that uh, many in our own body are suffering, God. Suffering isolation, suffering sickness, or fear of sickness, because we know that our bodies aren't what they once were. There are those amongst us who are suffering, um, dealing with the fear of losing work or losing a job completely. Uh, there are those among us who uh, aren't used to being cooped up all the time, Father, and, and those among us who uh, see uh, what is happening to our entire planet and just feel overwhelmed with fear, God. Uh, it is easy to say that many are suffering right now, and so our prayer is that rather than wallow in that or be overwhelmed by it or running away from it, Lord, uh, would we uh, persevere, as James says, and would we see in your word this morning how prayer plays such an important role in that, God? It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So when we began this series in James, we pointed out that not only is it going to be an incredibly practical part of the Bible that we're looking at, but it is also going to be one that focuses on this idea of wisdom. Wisdom is, uh, is the ability to be completely dependent on God. I know that sounds like a weird definition, right? But, but really, wisdom is all of the things that point us back to how much we need God and how to live in him. If he's our creator and we have life in him, then that means that anything that leads us away from God is foolishness, and anything that leads us toward him is wisdom. Uh, this is why there's a difference between the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God or the kingdom of God. Because the wisdom of the world uh, gives us the ability to simply do well living this life of ours. It's no different from the information that a bear uses to know how to, uh, that it has to hibernate during the winter and store up its reserves and sleep and lower its heart rate so it can survive, right? That is an earthly form of wisdom and it's all about survival, Right? Uh, well, earthly wisdom, what we call, you know, kind of uh, what we think of as wisdom that isn't about God, is really just ways that we can do a better job of living this life here. But according to James, there's this, uh, this godly wisdom that we need, and the biggest reason we need it is because it points us back to God each and every time. Now, wisdom has an in incredibly important relationship with trials and suffering, because trials and suffering, says James, are to bring us joy, which is a crazy idea. The idea that suffering and trials can actually bring us joy in our lives because we think of suffering and trials as things that can only take away from what we're trying to build and have in our lives. And yet, says James, we can count it pure joy when we face trials, difficulties, pain, and suffering. And even here in this passage, he begins the final passage of his letter back on this issue, this subject of suffering. He's covered all kinds of pain and suffering in this letter. People who suffer because they're rich and they've allowed themselves to believe that they don't need God. They've allowed themselves to judge and ridicule others. They've allowed themselves to make the mistake of thinking they're really in control. And according to James, that is suffering. Why? Because it leads us away from God. 
and those who are poor and who are impoverished, those who are sick and those who are uh, completely humbled in society, those people suffer as well. And James says that this suffering can bring us joy. How does that happen? How do we have that? With wisdom. We've described wisdom as, as the thing. It, it functions like a, like a set of lenses. They give you the ability to see through the, the fog, the cloud of what's going on uh, in your life when you're dealing with trials. And without wisdom, we have no way of navigating these things. And when you have no way of navigating suffering and pain and trials, then all you can do is think of getting out of there, turning around and running, getting away as far as you can. So we have to have wisdom if we're going to know how to navigate pain and suffering. And one sign, or really you could say a measure of a person's wisdom, a measure of how much wisdom you have to depend on God is the amount of, the amount of time that you spend in prayer is how often you find yourself going to God in prayer. Because if wisdom tells me to depend on God, then how do I know that I am fully depending on God? Because I'm going to God. I'm praying to God. Prayer is a way that we know that we are really truly depending on him and not ourselves. I mean, you think about any situation you deal with in life. You do everything you possibly can to handle it, whatever way you think is best. And then... At the very end, when there's nothing else to do, you pray. That is the story of a person who doesn't depend on God. God's a safety net. God's a way that they cope. God is a way that they uh, try to have some little bit of control when they have no other control over their circumstances. So wisdom shows us how much we need God. Wisdom shows us how prayer itself is even a, a measure of how much we depend on God. We need wisdom because it tells you the why of things, right? Why is this happening? How am I supposed to handle this? What is God trying to teach me? It tells me what are the things in my life that maybe I need to let go of in this trial and suffering, and what are the things that I need to hold on to? How could I possibly know that without wisdom? James says, I can't. But wisdom is not just something that comes to us naturally. This is one of the hardest things for us to wrap our mind around because it is exactly the opposite of the way our world sees wisdom. According to James, wisdom is not just accumulated the longer that you live your life. That's how wisdom works for a bear that needs to hibernate or animals that need to live out in the wild. The longer they survive, the more information and knowledge they gain. But as much as we would like to believe, especially those of us who have maybe lived a lot of life, want to believe that you just get more wisdom the older you get, according to James, there's only one way to get wisdom. We don't get it by being older. We don't get it by living longer. Uh, I've met people who are older who have very little wisdom, and I've met people who are younger who seem to have a lot more wisdom than someone their age should. It's not just accumulated by what we go through in life. Wisdom is given one way only. James says you ask God for it. He says when we're going through trials and we're suffering, that we should ask God for wisdom and we should believe that he will give it to us. He says if you, if you believe that God's going to give you wisdom, then you won't go looking for it everywhere else. Why does he emphasize that so much in the beginning of James? Because our tendency is to 
is to ask and, God for and wisdom. And go and look for it everywhere else. I, I cannot think of a, of a time that this has been more obvious to me in my own life than right now. As we all sit home with a phone in our hands or a computer in front of us, because what else is there to totally do, right? Uh, and as we try to understand what is going on, I mean, every day I get up, I check the news, and I try to find out what new law, what new rule, what new restriction is going to dictate the course of my life, right? Then there's all the other conversations I'm having with people about, do you really think we need to do this, or do we not need to do this, right? I think about, like, like is this really the big danger they're saying it is? I've heard some people saying it has to do with politics, and I've heard some people saying, oh, no, we're just overreacting because of that thing. And some have said, oh, yeah, no, it's, it's legitimate, but maybe not enough that people should be losing their jobs over some of the measures we're taking. And, oh, well, have you talked to someone in the healthcare industry? They'll change what you're, what you're thinking, right? And every conversation and everything I read and every person I talk to is an attempt for me to do what? To understand what is going on around me. I will look everywhere else for wisdom, a.k.a. for the ability to understand the fog that I am going through right now, for the lenses to see through it. I will look to everything that I can find, every article written, every blog post, every social media thing that people share, uh, every person that I talk to has a different opinion, right? I will look to these things as a way of getting wisdom instead of to God. So is it all that different then if, if I start my day by saying, God, would you give me wisdom and show me how it is that you want me to navigate this and get through this? What is it you're trying to show me? And then I go and I look to all those other things and I go, okay, now what is it that's going on? No, that's what James is saying when he says, if you ask God for wisdom, you believe it and you don't doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the shore. You'll, you'll never get anywhere because you'll be blown and tossed this way and that, right? And that's what we do. So, I mean, if there's ever a challenge that comes out of even just the way that James talks about why, how we get the wisdom we need, I, think, I, think, I don't think that many of us will disagree that you do have to have some wisdom if you're going to deal with the things going on in your lives, right, that are hard. But I think we all disagree on where to get that. And what James is saying is maybe would you consider just like putting your phone down for a second? This is not about you know, screen time or anything like that. I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, we're all addicted to that stuff all the time. What I'm saying is like, uh, maybe, just maybe, if I put that thing down and if I stop talking to everybody about this thing and I just talk to God about it and I say, God, would you just give me the wisdom to understand what I need to understand in this situation right now? Is it possible that I could then actually not be tossed back and forth by every opinion, everything that I read, everything that I hear? Because I do feel like I spend so much of my time trying to figure out what I'm actually supposed to think about things when I'm going through trials like this. Do we ask God for wisdom and do we trust and believe that he's actually going to give it to us? A huge mark of maturity in the life of a Christian is the ability to recognize that we don't have that much wisdom. Uh, a student of Socrates allegedly asked him once why he was so wise. And he said, the reason is a simple one. He said, the reason that I seem so much more wise than others is because I'm aware of how little wisdom I actually have and most other people are not. His measure of his wisdom is, I know 
how little wisdom I actually have. I don't think most other people do. I think that perfectly sums up what it looks like to begin to gain wisdom from the Lord when we're going through things is because it will show us, not that we're terrible, dumb people, but what will it show us? It will show us that we need to depend on God, that we need him, that there's less in us than we think there is. Now, you're probably wondering, okay, why are we talking about all of this stuff from the beginning of our series from James 1 when the passage you just read is James 5? Because what James is saying here at the end is he is going back to prayer, which is not only the way that we ask God for wisdom, but the way that we know that we're choosing to depend on God. And what James is saying here is simple. He is saying, are any of you suffering Are any of you cheerful? Are any of you uh, thinking about those who have wandered away, those who have gone away from the faith? And he talks even about bringing those people back and the reward that we would receive in that. What James is basically saying is, in all situations that you go through, pray. And here's what will happen when you pray. Now, this is the part of the passage that we really struggle with. Because he says that uh, your prayers will do something. He says here, uh, first in verse 14, that if you're sick, that you're to call for the elders of the church and let them pray over you. And, and, And then he says in verses 15 and 16, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So what James says here is something that's actually really hard for a lot of us to to understand and really just swallow even. He's saying that the prayer of the righteous person will be answered, and he's saying that this sick person will be healed. We have the hardest time with this passage. Why? Because James seems to be saying in this passage that if you're sick, which many of us have been sick, seriously ill. He says, go to the elders of the church, which many of us have done. Have them anoint your head with oil, which many of us have also done. And that uh, to, to repent of your sins and to, to give those before the Lord. And then he basically says that your prayer, if you're righteous, it seems, or, or maybe implying that the elders themselves are righteous as well, that it will heal a person. He actually says, you know, you'll get up, which is like a sick person just kind of getting up and going forth. We hear this and we go, but that hasn't happened, right? I've, I've prayed and I've even brought it to the elders and, and I've had this faith that he's talking about, at least I've tried to, and yet I wasn't healed or this person in my life wasn't healed. We have prayer and healing services here uh, at least once a year as the pastors and we do this exact thing. We, we anoint people's heads with oil. We pray over people and while some and many experience healing, many don't experience the physical healing that they ask for. And we, we see this passage, and, and that is the thing that our mind goes to, and we say, well, how then is this true? You see, there's a couple of different ways that prayer can really work. The first is simple. It's the way that we wish it would work, which is um, uh, God loves us, and so everything we ask for, he will do, right? If we ask him to heal us, if we ask him to take the pain out of our life, 
you know, it, it, of course, he wants us to be healthier, more joyful, uh, happier. Uh, and of course, then that thing being taken out of my life would lead to that. So he would give me everything that I want, everything that I ask for. And the problem with this, as much as we would love for this to be the case, is that this makes God smaller even than us. It makes him uh, able to be changed really more by our will, to be directed by our will. This idea of prayer says God serves me and he does what I say. So then there's the opposite extreme that a lot of us, when we're honest, this is how we feel. We go, okay, fine. Uh, then really what I think happens is you pray and God's like, thanks, that was some good exercise for you. And then it really makes no difference in terms of the physical things going on in your life. Because, you know, God's a spiritual God and, and he cares about spiritual things and he'll always heal you spiritually, but he won't heal you physically, right? But that feels so cold. It feels so detached that it's hard for us to then go, oh, that I believe that God loves me, that I'm his child, like the Bible says that I am, that I believe that, that, that he can actually, uh, that, that, he, that he cares about me at all, even though he won't ever answer me when I cry out to him in pain and change the circumstances that I'm going through. Then there is a third option. There's a third way, and it is this. It is that your prayers are heard each time you lift them up and that your prayers have power to them. Now, it doesn't mean that they are guaranteed to do what you ask for because that would make God your slave. What it means is that they have the power to heal. They have the power to cleanse sins. You see, this, uh, this letter is so practical. And, and we say that, like James is talking to a group of very real people in the church. That's why he talks a lot about fighting and bickering and getting over themselves and all the stuff that you know is true when you get a group of people together who are sinful, right? And, and when he talks to that group of people, why would James go out of his way to promise them that everything they ask God to do in their pain, God's going to fix and do and change. I mean, everything else that James has said up to this point, you know, take joy in suffering and all these different things, uh, would just be completely useless to them because of this. He's saying, oh yeah, God promises to heal you and take this problem away from you. They'd go, nope, that's not what happens in my life. I don't believe anything James says, and that would be the end of this letter, this epistle. No, because James is so practical and because he's, he's, he's dealing with a group of people that we can really relate to, we know that what James is actually saying is he's saying to them, he's saying, I want to encourage you because you've probably stopped believing in the power that this thing has. What he's doing is he is convincing the church that in all situations, whether you are joyful and cheerful or whether you are downtrodden and struggling, whether it's because you want God to be more a part of your life or whether you want him to be more a part of someone else's life because they've wandered away, believe that God actually can do the thing that you're asking and believe that your prayer has power to accomplish great things. Believe in the power of this act of talking to God. 
He's like just encouraging them. He's saying, guys, I, I know this is tough for you to wrap your minds around, especially because you're suffering right now and, and you're going to continue suffering. But know this, that when you get down on your knees and you talk to God, that in doing that, that those words and those things have power in them and power to them. Believe that. This is what he's saying. He's saying no matter what happens, you must not lose confidence in prayer. You must believe that it truly does work. And if things don't go the way you want them to, it's not because prayer doesn't work. It's because God's will won't be bent to yours. Seek him when you're suffering, not something else. Seek him when you're cheerful and you're joyful and, and you want to recognize the fact that, uh, that, that those things are from him. They don't necessarily make you independent of him. I mean, like I said before, I, I have been inundated with, my, like my email inbox alone has been inundated every day with like a different person telling me like how, how to respond to the situation that's going on right now. Everyone feels, uh, you know, responsible. I just, I'll just say right now, like if, if I can make you, I don't know, feel a little bit freer right now, you are not responsible for giving a response to the coronavirus, okay? Uh, a few of you are in positions of leadership or in some industry where you need to give some kind of response. But my Geico insurance agent, who isn't even a real person, I'm pretty sure it's a computer-generated like artificial intelligence thing, has given me their response. Uh, an adoption agency, the lead singer of a band, um, I got an email this morning from the mortgage broker, the guy that like sold us the loan for our house talking about how they are going to and how they want, they want to recommend that we respond. Uh, would you believe it had to do with refinancing your house because apparently rates are low right now? There is, there is no shortage of people saying, let me tell you how you should respond to what's going on right now. I am so tired of the word response. Like, it's everywhere. Everyone is telling us how to respond. Everyone is telling us what we should think and what we should do. Is there a more appropriate time to look here at what James is saying and to say, when life falls apart and everything is crazy, when you literally don't know what tomorrow will bring and you don't have the security that you thought you had, like who really can respond to that? Who really can tell you what to do in that situation? Who can tell you how to persevere? And why? Should you persevere? Why should you be patient in suffering? Because God is trying to accomplish something good in you. He is trying. He is doing something in this. Like a farmer who is, who is, who is waiting for their crop to grow. You're not just standing around for no reason. There's something growing and happening. And if you would be patient and you would allow it to happen... And when needed, you would act and do things and respond. Then something will come as a result. Remember, wisdom is the ability to see how dependent we are on God. Dependency on God is kind of like, it's like the dependency that we have on air. We cannot live without air. Uh, I know I'm blowing your mind here. We cannot live without air. 
And uh, that's the quote that we're going to put on like the, the picture of me. We're going to take a picture of me and put it online on like Instagram. And it'll say like, you cannot live without air. You know, Ed Grover. It'll blow people's minds. That's my response. There it is. Um, because you can't live without air. You can jump in the ocean. You can go swim around for a while. But at some point, you're going to have to come up and breathe more air. Right? Well, there are some people who are really good at holding their breath. They can take a big deep breath. They can go down and swim all around. They can see all kinds of cool things. In fact, the better you get at holding your breath longer, the further away from the surface you can become. The more independent you can be, it seems, of the source of all the air that you have, right? Uh, so we are, we are like these people who uh, sometimes forget or often forget that the further you go, the further you have to get back in order to get that air. And a lot of times life feels like you're turning around going, I need that thing. I realize now that I need that thing, but I am really far away from it. And I don't know if I'm going to get back there in time to get it. Wisdom is that thing that urges the person and says, don't go further than this. Why? Because you depend on that air. It would be so foolish for us to actually forget at any point that we depend on that for life, isn't it? It's equally as foolish for a person to forget in the way you live your life and the way you make your decisions and the way that you act and, 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 and the things that you let yourself even believe and the voices that you listen to and the, the responses that you follow after. If you let yourself forget the real source of life that you have. If you let yourself forget that, you're in danger of drowning. You're in danger of getting too far away from that source before you think you can actually make it back, before needing the next breath. We pray all the time. Why do we ask elders, why does he say to ask elders to come to anoint our heads with oil, to, to help us as we do this? It's because... Uh, it is important for us to, to recognize also that um, no matter how much we learn about healing the human body, that ultimately in the end, God really is the great physician and the great healer. Now, this is not to say, and unfortunately some people have taken it to mean that like, uh, that God, uh, you know, that he doesn't want us to go to doctors or things like that. That's not true. That's like totally not what it's saying here. But the truth is, uh, medicine and understanding medicine in the human body, it's ultimately an effort on our part to understand and better predict and better prepare for and better respond to uh, the diseases and the health things that come up in our lives. Why? So that we can heal ourselves, make ourselves better, and live a longer life. That's what we want. And we, we, we try to understand these things and we do research on them. Why? Not just so that we understand them, but so that we can have access to stuff so that we can do it cheaper and faster and better and more reliably and more predictably. The goal is that every time a person, the goal, the big goal ultimately, is that any time a person gets sick, that we can say, here's how we have the ability to make you better and that we know it will work. Now, we know that we'll never get to that goal uh, in terms of science, that we can cure everything. But... What James is pointing out here and talking about these elders and about this anointing of oil is he's saying that it is important to recognize that anything that we, that we think we could heal, anything that we think we can make better, God can heal more. God can heal not just the physical thing going on in you, which he can, by the way. The incurable disease, he can. 
uh, the thing that you, uh, that you think is just physical, though, that God can heal even more than that, that he can actually heal spiritually. I mean, there are these times that people in the Bible are, are uh, that Jesus encounters a person who is sick or is suffering, and he says, go, your sins are forgiven. And you read that, and you're like, uh, I'm pretty sure that they, like, wanted something else, too, you know, maybe to be able to walk or to be able to see. Because to us, those are the really important things, right? James is pointing out here that uh, no matter how much we would ever want to be able to do in healing ourselves, which, by the way, the ultimate goal of that really is, again, to be independent from God. I mean, I would love to live in a world where we could fix any health problem. But if I lived in that world then I can't think of a time that I would need to get down on my knees and ultimately say, God, I have no control here. I have no control over this, and no one else does. I need you to do this thing. I mean, this is why when we think about suffering, we immediately think about health stuff. It's because we think, well, those are the situations that I really don't have any control sometimes. So you see how even the thing that we want to accomplish the most, the thing for the good of humanity and to help us, the thing we're trying desperately to do right now with this virus, ultimately, if we could, we would build for ourselves a world in which we actually didn't need God and that we certainly didn't have to leave it up to his will over ours. What James is saying here is that he's saying, when you're sick, go to the elders of the church, have them anoint you and pray for you so that you can know that the healing that happened came from the Lord, and so that you can know that your sins are forgiven, and so that you can be purified. And would you believe when you pray that prayer that God can do anything? That your prayer has the power to do that, even if you ultimately don't receive the thing that you want for yourself. James's ultimate way of, of ending his, his letter is to encourage the church, to encourage them and to say, remember, the most important thing that you can do to accomplish and to live out your faith is to go before the Lord in prayer. And I'm sure that I'm not the only pastor saying this right now, because it's an incredibly obvious connection to make. But when we're put at a place in our lives where we can't interact with other people, where we can't leave and do all the things that we're used to doing, where we can't keep ourselves busy with all the things we normally keep ourselves busy with, where we can't even go to work, is there a better time in life to stop and say, I have got to talk to God? I mean, if you can't find the time now, when will you find the time? Is there ever a day in our lives uh, that we needed to begin with Scripture more than tomorrow? Is there ever a day in our lives that we needed to begin with prayer and end with prayer more than tomorrow? I have a hard time thinking that there is. This is what James calls wisdom. Getting down on your knees and saying, God, whatever it is that's going on, I want more of you involved in that situation, and I want your power working through it. That is wisdom. That is real wisdom. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the fact that you 
do love us and that you tell us again and again and again to come before you like a child comes to their parent and seeks things from them. God, there are so many who are suffering and in pain right now. And God, I pray specifically for those in our church who because of their age or because of, of, their, of their ill health, Lord, are feeling so isolated right now and are fearful of what may happen to them. God, I pray that you would give them confidence. I pray that those who are fearful because of their advanced age would have the wisdom that, that can come with advanced age if we seek you as well, and that that wisdom would give them peace of mind. And God, would you help the rest of us in this time to just stop seeking the response that everyone else offers us and stop feeling like we need to tell other people how to respond and start seeking you in the way that you call us to respond, Lord. God, as, as we hear this song now and just spend some time reflecting upon these words, the words of this song are so simple. They say, I need you, God. I need you, God. God, as we listen to those words and we think about them and reflect on them, God, would you just, uh, would you pound that idea into our minds so that it is there subconsciously even when we don't try to think it, God. We need you, we need you, Lord. It's in your name that we pray, amen.